I can't tell if you two know each other or not. You know, people spend more money on dog food than baby food. You're trying to tell me when you saw Casablanca, you didn't think about me. Look at you figuring things out for yourself. It's unfair, but it's over. I need to talk to you. I can explain. I know, I know you can. You're a very, very gifted storyteller. The answer was right in front of me. So I suppose I'm not going to see you anymore. Let's go, let's go! You've got a gypsy and a hobo. And who are you supposed to be? Welcome to Mad Men Men, the weekly show where we discuss a show that used to come out weekly. Each week, we take a close look at an episode of the AMC series Mad Men, which ran from 2007 to 2015. We're changing the conversation of the show all these years later. Where one of us is a first-time watcher of the show, one of us went through it one time back when it was airing, and then there's me, who watches it, uh, I guess I used to say pretty often, but I actually haven't watched an episode in a couple weeks now, which is kind of weird. I'm John Negroni, and I have two people here, because it it is October and it's Halloween and one's dressed as a gypsy and the other's also dressed as a gypsy. Uh, Will Ashton and Mike Overholz. Trying to get us canceled on this podcast. And who am I supposed to be? Are you, do you just introduce us both at the same time? That's that's new. <laughs> I was I kind of really like it when I have my own personalized. I don't, I don't know what's, what's happening here. Is this Russ? He loves eating horse meat. Uh, his name is Mike Overholz. Um, welcome, guys. Uh, this is a big episode of Mad Men. And I know that uh, we're getting toward the end of season three. Very exciting stuff. And Mike, is it true that you binged a bunch of these episodes at once because you couldn't wait at something that has happened before? Yeah, I truly don't understand how you could wait watching these episodes. Like, mm-hmm. this must have been agonizing when the show is coming out weekly. Because, I mean, this is everything. This is what you've been waiting for. This is the culmination of so much of, of the story. So, yeah, I, 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 all these episodes for... The, for our discussion blurred together because I just watched all of them together because it's one one cohesive story. I know what you're referring to, right? The culmination. Finally, we know like what Greg is going to do, you know, about his job. That's that's obviously what we've been most curious about, you know. What else would I be talking about? I don't I don't know. That's I guess why even specify, right? Uh, So the Gypsy and the Hobo came out October 25th, 2009. So we're actually recording this a couple of days before it aired. Gosh, 14 years ago. So look at that. Uh, This was directed by Jennifer Getzinger. Uh, She directed My Old Kentucky Home earlier this season. And the episode was written by Marty Noxon, Catherine Humphreys, and Matthew Weiner. Uh, Marty Noxon, I don't remember seeing that name in any of the previous episodes this season. Season, oh, but I know no, they, they co-wrote uh, the inheritance. Yeah, yeah. Is that is that what you're gonna say? Well, sorry, I I was just gonna say that's a creator of what's is, what was that show that was on Lifetime that was like popular for one season. Um, well, I know Mark. So Noxon is very famous for Buffy the Vampire. Slayer. Okay. Um, she was an executive producer on that, and then uh, she also worked on uh, Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce. I think that's. One of the, you might be referring to, or Unre- I don't no. know what Unreal is, but Unreal sure. is the one I was thinking of. That was like a big hit for the first season, uh, and then I think it kind of tampered out. But that was uh, that was the show I was thinking of. All right. Uh, also worked in uh, some films too as a writer, uh, but also Catherine Humphreys uh, co-wrote a- an episode earlier in the season as well. Uh, that would be Love Among the Ruins. So yeah, uh, as we've kind of mentioned, this is a big episode. And in terms of the viewership, uh, definitely a big bump in the ratings from last week. Uh, So The Color Blue, that one hit 1.61. This jumped to 1.72. And uh, we can say, like, from this point on, the ratings just, like, continue to climb. 
Uh, this is like when Mad Men really started to come into a lot of popularity, actually. So there you go. Uh, so, okay, Gypsy and the Hobo. I know, guys, that... I mean, this this is a big episode for Will, because Will, your first time watching the episode, you, of course, got to experience a lot of things here for the first time. I, I don't want to start in any particular order, but I, I kind of want to start with the stuff with Roger, if that's okay. I know Mike is looking at me like, how could we, how could we wait? Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I just kind of do, I kind of want to do a check-in with, with Roger this season. This is my least favorite Roger of Mad Men. Um, not that he's bad in season three, but I think he's at his most unlikable in the show, uh, even compared to season one and season two. This episode is kind of interesting. It's an episode where he reconnects with an old flame. Uh, so a character named Annabelle, played by Mary Page Keller, and they have this kind of like rekindling thing. And there's this moment where he c- he has a chance to like, you know, maybe maybe uh, run away with her and stuff. And it, it's kind of an interesting like thing inside this episode. I've always been too, of two minds with it and the way it contrasts with the Don storyline. But yeah, what, what were y'all's takeaway from this? I'm like, I know you're a Roger fan. You quote Roger to me all the time. You say things like John, women are objects. Yeah. I mean, we were just together in person for the first time in years. And I think that was my opening line. I got in your car. Yes. That's the first thing I said, uh, I think, I mean, <laughs> it is true that Mike and I uh, got to hang out in person, uh, last week. Yes. It is so rare for it to happen. You know, me and John never hang out. So it was great. Uh, no, Roger's great. You know, love Roger overall. It's is a bad version of Roger, but I do love this story arc or not even arc this, this, this encapsulated story within the episode, just because it's so different, right? It's, it's seeing the, the cards reverse, right? It's, it's an old, older woman. It's not Roger with all his younger flames and everything he's doing. It's, you could see how maybe he was the one maybe taken advantage of by someone in, in power or, uh, you know, it's just kind of a foil to everything we know about Roger and seeing him deal with that. I have to agree. I, I love the line where, you know, they're kind of like bickering a little bit and uh, Casablanca gets mentioned. And and Roger says, like, that woman got on a plane with a man who was going to end World War II, not run her father's dog food company. <laughs> Which I actually thought was pretty funny. Um, Will, were you surprised that, that Roger didn't cheat on Joan? Or what, what was your takeaway from that? Uh, I'm not surprised, I guess. I mean... Uh, I think it's definitely a great parallel to what we see uh, with Don later in the episode in the sense that uh, him and Roger and several other characters are sort of confronted with the the fragility of their relationships, both at work and at home, primarily at home, actually. Uh, But in the case of uh, Don and Roger, they're both having to come to terms with someone meaningful and eventful in their past. Uh, and reckon with how they can live with themselves now when that person or that uh, person that or you know, dead person, whatever, uh, comes back into their life with a force uh, and right. kind of wrecks havoc on uh, what they've built for themselves at this stage in the game. Uh, I think my only real so, complaint so, with it. So you're yeah. calling just real quick, you're, you're calling the parallel between like Roger's past and Don's past and how both of them kind of just want to forget the past and, you know, move forward? Sort of. I, I mean, I don't know if Roger... I think his feelings are a lot more complicated as far as his relationship, because I think there is genuine love and trust there. Uh, but, I mean, especially with her uh, being, uh, like, as a client, her uh, need to kind of move forward, but being tied to the past as well, in the sense that she has this tainted brand where 
people know, uh, you know, what goes into the, the dog food and like, she needs to either kind of move away from the name or shut down the business. And there's a pride there where she doesn't want to move uh, away. And, and Dawn's kind of pressing her to acknowledge that, uh, you know, you can't move forward without forgetting the past or, you know, moving away from the past. But Dawn's never really been able to do that as much as he professes that he can. And I think, you know, uh, I mean, I will get into that later. But um, as far as Roger is concerned, I think this would have been better if maybe we it kind of played out over like two or three episodes. Like I think this storyline got a little too congested into one episode, even though I really like it as a uh, um, parallel uh, to what's happening with Don and Betty. Uh, I see. And, so you're saying like if if we had like met Annabelle a few episodes ago and it's like, oh, we're working on this account and just like little subtle seeds of it before to we get to this moment. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. I just think like if if we had a more uh, complicated un- like understanding of like, oh, like should uh, Roger leave uh, Joan for her? Like, should he not Joan? Um, what's her name? Jane. Jane uh, for uh, for her. Uh, he does have that he, moment with Joan in this episode. To be fair, that's true. Over the phone. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do like how it plays out. Ultimately, it just feels a bit abrupt, and I guess it's intentional as far as like him kind of cutting ties. Uh, with yeah, he's uh, kind of blindsided a little bit. Like she kind of comes back into his life quickly, which there mm-hmm. there is something kind of that does feel true about that. So. Yeah, but, I mean, I do, I do like that. Par- I like that parallel where she, she can't let go of her past with Roger. She can't let go of the dog food company name, right? Like you were saying, and then there, yeah, I guess there's this interesting thing about how just like yeah, Roger, you know, is kind of rejecting. I, I wonder if like they're trying to set up maybe this is how Roger and Don could mend their fences because they're of the same point of view in this respect. But you know, that's still to be seen, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, as far as Roger is concerned, I mean, I don't know. I, f- I don't know if he's much worse here than he is before. I feel like this season he's been a real kind of uh, uh, thorn in Dawn's side, so it's not as fun as when, you know, there are a couple of gents ragtagging him around the this, town. This and- is the season where he's in blackface. Yeah. Um, he mm-hmm. has he just he he has these unlikable moments peppering, you know. He has that whole thing like I don't like being judged, you know, and like just like complaining all the time. And it just feels like there's like yeah, that insecurity he has over getting older, that everyone's kind of looking down on him for what happens with Jane. And I guess yeah, to be fair, we, this is the episode where we do find out that apparently he was a bit of a Hemingway, you know, he was like a boxer and all this stuff. And and that's why I. Have we ever talked about how cool it would be for a Mad Men prequel just about Roger when he was like in his thirties? I mean, you mentioned that as far as uh, if there was a Better Call Saul uh, yeah. equivalent for Mad Men, Roger uh, Sterling or just Sterling or something. I mean, I, I maintain I think for me, I don't know if you actually talked about this on the air if we just texted about it, but um, I, I, I think. Uh, um, I'd be more interested in Cooper's story here. I mean, I, Cooper's I feel story. Like, well, that would be part of Roger's story, wouldn't it? Sure. And, and you're right. We do. We text about this every night. Yeah. Um, right. But no, I mean, day. I feel like it has to be, I don't know. Like the, the reason better call Saul worked is that we never got to see Saul Goodman's home life. So there was just a lot of room to play mm-hmm. with that. And I feel like we just don't know anything about Cooper, at least at this stage. I mean, who knows? Uh, you guys know, 
um, what happens later down the road. But I feel like Cooper is the better option because he's such an enigma about his past. And, yeah. you know, in the we same get, way that we get, we get breadcrumbs up until this point, you know, we know at this point with Cooper that like he never had children that he has like the the horses in Montana or wherever. So, yeah, I mean, there's a little bit we, we've gotten so far. Yeah. There, there is another I, character you haven't met yet, by the way, Will, uh, related to Cooper, who I'm okay. sure I'm sure would be like a main character. I mean, I, know, I think I know. I think Mike might remember who I'm talking about. Oh, no, I just feel like Cooper's such a I, delight. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to be on a record and be and say, you know, for the sake of the integrity of this podcast, I'm not on board for any prequel series. And uh, okay. let it be said, right. oh, sure. one of us is level headed. All right. So Mike, Mike wants the Sally Draper spinoff show. Where she's no, not even that. What do you want? Come on, you're like Roger and women. I can't figure you out, Mike. What do you want? Just look at. Here's what I'll say. I'll take it seriously. Just look at the many saints of Newark. So The Sopranos is such a prestige, perfect show, and then they went and made that god awful straight to HBO movie, and it's tainted it. And I don't want anything to taint Mad Men. It's a great show, almost a perfect show. Breaking Back got lucky. Breaking Back got lucky. I think May Saints in New York was was all right. I, I don't have as negative a feelings on it. I guess you do, but uh, I agree it's not as good as Sopranos. But yeah, I mean, if you had asked me after Breaking Bad if we need a Saul Goodman show. I would say, no, I mean, you know, what do we need to learn about this guy? He's a scuttlebutt. But then you watch Better Call Saul, and it's like, oh, man, this is uh, an amazing work of television that rivals uh, the greatness of one of the greatest shows ever made. So it's like, yeah, sure. I mean, Because it's Bob Odenkirk, you know? And it's the same actor playing the same role. You're not going to get that with young young Roger. That's true. I think you could go with the Saw approach, though, if he was still with us. Where you just put you just put just on the hat backwards uh, and just be like, I'm young Cooper. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I like I do like the Roger portion of this episode because I, I do like the extra stuff we get about where he came from. And there's just like, I feel like there's like a new light kind of painted on him uh, that kind of spells why he is the way he is, not just because a woman, you know, broke his heart. I think that that is certainly illuminating, but even just kind of getting this glimpse of Roger being a bit of like a bohemian, right? And not always being like the the dutiful company man, right? Like kind of as we're alluding to, the things that he did before he kind of settled down, not just with Mona, but with Sterling Cooper. I, I just think that even just like the suggestion of that life is super interesting to me. It speaks to, I think, like why there's a connection between him and Joan still and why they connected at all in the first place, because it just, it seems like there is a side to him that he kind of hides from people and that he let himself kind of show to Joan. Uh, speaking of Joan. Um, all right. So we, we all know that Greg is, he's not the best. Uh, he's a, uh, he is a rapist. We know that. Uh, we also know that he's going to be uh, going into uh, a new, a new job. What, what, what is that job boys? The army therapist, army therapist. You were both right. Hmm. Um, this was kind of interesting to me. Um, so, okay. He can't be a successful surgeon um, unless he goes to, or he, he's kind of convinced like, Oh, at Vietnam, that's like days away from being over. So he enlisted in the army because they need surgeons. And it's kind of, it, it's a very tense scene, isn't it? Like, I just kind of had this weird sense that, like, Joan wasn't quite sure what she was going to do. Like, if she was going to be happy of, like, wait, he's not going to be around anymore. Right. <laughs> or what? 
I mean, there is a twisted logic to like what he's saying. I mean, you know, in, in the broad sense, but yeah, he does I mean, reveal that he had, he had, uh, he went through psychiatry when he was younger sure. or that, uh, no, his father did. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, the fact that he just went ahead and did it without consulting his wife, uh, yes. you know, without really thinking about the repercussions of his actions outside his own, you know, well-being professionally, just kind of shows the staggering selfishness of his character, which we, you know, already kind of knew uh, based on uh, his aforementioned actions. But, uh, yeah, I mean, not a great guy, but, I mean, I'm curious to see what happens with him and Nam. Do you think she's being? Do you think she's actually happy though, or do you think she's pretending? I so for me, there's there's two things. I do think she's a little bit happy because for the the day and age, I think it she's happier telling people that he is going to be in the army than she is just being like he was a not a field surgeon, but going to psychiatry, which wasn't as respected as a profession. I think it's much more respected to be able to say, oh, he's going to be a GI, right? Especially for the time and age, you know, we're still. Not too far from World War II or fresh out of Korea. Um, for the older generation and the more established gen- like uh, working class or upper working class, I think the, the military is much more respected compared to the counterculture younger crowd that the, the show is really going to lean into as Vietnam goes on. Um, but for me and in, in, in him joining, I think, you know, classic madmen speaking to the world we live in even already today, but just how the military takes advantage of those who are down and out or feel like they have no other options to go and, and join and sign your life away for things like that. I, I, I will pe- just speak just from experience. My, my brother is in the military. Um, not a choice he always wanted to do, but because he had a tougher life and felt like he had no other options. And I know a lot of people who are in you know similar, similar stories, not saying that serving your country isn't a good thing. There's many people who love their military service, but I know a lot of people who also regret doing it but they had no other choice and it's the it's the 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 path life offered and i'm seeing this here and it's been happening in america for a long time and it's still happening today and in other countries as well right but yeah i think that's very astute and i i kind of like the subtle comedy i don't even know if it's intentional of like greg does this after like after joan hits him with the vase you could almost sort of like take that as like she knocks him a sense into him <laughs> but just in the sense of like he finally did like figured something like she has that line where she's like oh look at you figuring stuff out on your own and it's almost like she's also talking about greg and being like good he's finally solving his own problems i don't have to be his mother anymore and i, I just wonder if yeah it's like partly her just being like you know what fine like i i don't care that much um it, it, but it, it, it's also kind of dark to even assume that like i wonder if even she would never admit that like, sure she's happy to be rid of him. But I think there is like sort of empty nester kind of mindset. Cause I was wondering watching it, if the tur- the wheels are turning in her head as to being like, Oh, this will give me an opportunity to go back to work at the uh, Sterling Cooper. Like, I don't know, because she kind of reestablished that connection with Roger. There's that. I mean, I think she's, you know, not totally dishappy with her work, uh, you know, like selling, uh, you know, lavish coats and whatnot. I think there is something where she feels unfulfilled there. Like she feels kind of boxed in to this secretarial, uh, you know, kind of job where she wants to kind of thrive like she did uh, at Sterling Cooper. So I don't know. I mean, the fact that she has it in still with Roger. Mm -hmm. She's definitely unfulfilled. I mean, I think she views what she's doing as a job and what she did at Sterling Cooper was a career. 
and something yes. she can hang her hat on. Yeah. There you go. There you go. All right. Is it time that we talk about it? The dog food focus group? I loved it. I love that whole scene. We was uh, like, stop eating that. Fun fact. This is the first time I read that they called it a focus group and not brainstorming. Mm. Uh, in ter- is that in uh, Mad Men Carousel? Yep, that is correct. I reread the chapter for this episode. You you sacrificed so much. I know. I, I didn't uh, have do the director's commentary for this one. Didn't have time, unfortunately. Oh, la-di-da. So uh, important episode. Uh, Sorry, uh, I don't have any fun bits. This episode's so important that we, you know, had to wait. But then you just don't even do the stuff that you usually do for an average episode of... You don't even uh, seem that mad. You're trying to come off as like, oh, but you, if anything, you're just like, eh, it's all fun. I don't know. I'm just here to goof off and talk with my buddies, Mike and John. Yeah, oh, where are they? Oh, I'm, dang it. Too quick. I'm right here. I'm not going to let you bully Will. This is what the writers <laughs> went on strike for, is to be nice to Will Ashton. <laughs> I do right. have, have Have any of you, uh, any of us, either of you guys, how do I want to post this question? Do we, as a collective group, have any experience with focus groups on either side? No comment. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, John surely would have some kind of experience. Hey, I didn't know if he could talk about, you know, just in general terms. But I, I, I have been in a focus group. I have been the person being asked questions for a big company based out of Seattle who makes video games. And I would play mm. test and then answer questions before they were released. It was very cool, yeah. very fun. Simple questions give us like, pizza. yeah, simple questions like, what is your name? At what age did you lose your virginity? Um, how many wet dreams have you had over a relative? Stuff like that. Michael, I'm Seattle, assuming. 29 and 84. <laughs> Are those the questions um, they write down to test the new iPhone, John? So <laughs> I think what I love about the dog food focus group is it also captures the anxiety that Don has about himself because he sees the Caldecott farm thing and he sees it like this dog food that, you know, it's horse meat. And he's like, well, you can't really change that. That's what it is. So you have to change the name. And it's like, it's so obvious, right? It, it's so clearly like Don's like, you have to change the name, you know, like to, to Don Draper dog food. I, I mean, uh, you know, it, it's so like the clear issue that he has the, the, butting up against Annabelle on this issue. It's such a clear strike at their philosophies. It's the perfect episode, of course, for him to have to confront this with Betty, where Betty is essentially in that focus group and is like, no, like you're horse meat and you have been lying to me and like this is who you were the whole time. And that fear he has of being rejected because of something he can't change, uh, he can only dress up and rebrand, right? Uh, that's what comes to the forefront. And I just think it's just such great writing uh, and so indicative of the show. Like, you know, they just, they, they put their, their effort into it. Now, Will, how do you want to describe this, this whole sequence? We have the whole thing where Don uh, and Suzanne are going to go away, for, you know, for a little bit. Uh, he thinks Betty's not in the house with the kids and everything. He goes in real quick and then a lot of stuff happens. So what do you, what do you think, Will? What, what was, what was, what was your takeaway from all this? How, how did you emotionally handle it? I mean, there is a general sense of uh, inevitability to it in a sense that, like, before, uh, Don, you know, would be a little bit more uh, willing to separate. Yeah, his there affairs. is suspense. There's a bomb under the table. We know about it, but Don yeah. doesn't. 
But like, even as the scene sets up, like, I mean, obviously we know that that Betty knows from the last episode, but there's also yes. the the fact that Don brought, you know, the 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 woman of his affections here to his house that like his kids could just you know run into the the driveway and see her that he's not really even pretending to hide anymore sure street um but like even still like the fact that he's so willing to kind of uh let pretensions fall down that he's like you know having a fair woman in his neighborhood uh that he's less likely to kind of uh you know put up a, a mask as it were for Halloween. Yeah, he's not being careful. Like he was being way more careful on the train, which is weird with yeah. her compared to here where it's like, he's not that far from the house. Anybody could see he's getting out of the car with a woman who's mm-hmm. known by people in the community. Right. <laughs> like it's weirdly like it's almost stretching belief a bit and kind of being set up with like, well, well we have to do this so that she ends up waiting in the car and that's crazy. Mm. But yeah, but, I, uh, it's not the best. It's not the most elegant thing, because I, I don't know if I fully buy that he would stop being so careful, like you're saying. I don't know. I mean, to me, though, it, it builds up the suspense in a sense of like, obviously, there's suspense caked in uh, as far as uh, Betty knowing. And this is the first time she's seen Dawn and is able to confront him about what she knows, but also like. Mm. If this extra thing is going to be found out, and I feel like a lesser show would have just added, like would have turned into kind of like a almost like melodramatic kind of like revelation after revelation after revelation kind of thing. And I like that this scene, uh, you know, like there's the tension building up, but rather than leading to this kind of explosive moment where like they're yelling at each other and all this stuff, it, it Dawn just kind of droops and falls and like the, uh, facade of dawn just kind of slips away, and and Dick is finally uh, introducing himself to Betty, and I think it's some of uh, John Hamm's best acting. Yes, uh, in the 100%. kitchen and in the bedroom. I mean, just the way he's able to kind of blend the two performances, but bring this innate sort of sympathy, even when he's you know objectively done, <laughs> uh, you know, a pretty heinous, uh, you know disloyal thing and it also has uh, a woman that he's having an affair with uh you know not even uh, a few feet away from his house and yet you watch this scene you just kind of feel pity for uh the the way that don has to like kind of take these splinters out and kind of reveal uh the intricacies of his tragic uh upbringing uh yeah it's it's dramatically pretty incredible stuff and january jones uh, i mean holds her own as well i'm not trying to shortchange her performance either. Yeah, I, I love the way that she makes him squirm. But it's like you're saying, it's not played for like dramatic Hollywood blockbuster effect. It's played as like a very specific and precise character piece so that John Hamm can give that kind of performance, right? Like it's not something that happens out of desperation. It's clearly like calculated every second of it that Betty clearly is planning because... As we saw earlier in the episode, she has that whole thing with the house, right? She now sees it like with the house that she can have the money to support herself if she tries to divorce Don. Problem is, she has to have reasonable cause, right? So we can kind of see the gears turning of like, if she decides to hold this over Don, could she see a way out of this marriage or kind of reconsider it and everything? Because I think she's going into this meeting with him, not knowing what's going to happen and right. not knowing the consequences of like, if the world finds out about this, 
he's not the only victim I am mm-hmm. because if there's one thing we know about Betty, she doesn't want people to see her as a failure, right? We, I think that everybody finding out about this would be horrible to her reputation. I don't think she gives a shit about what it does to Don whatsoever sure. or their kids. I think she's confident that she can handle the kids fine without him around. Yeah. I mean, if anything, if anything, she wants it to hurt Don, right? I think she would mm-hmm, be exactly. vindictive in that sense. But, uh, I mean, well, she was also having sort of her own affair as well. So it's not even yes. that it's a matter. It's not even that she's really, uh, uh, angry about the unfaithfulness. It's just, I think the fact of knowing, uh, is, is central here. And the fact that she just doesn't even know, uh, who she's married to at this point. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but can I, but, can I say, I think on the rewatch, I think in that regard, the thing on the rewatch that really hangs up Betty, that really is interesting is the marriage. It's not like it, like the fake identity is part of it. She doesn't know who she is, but she, it, it, it's who is this woman that he was already married to? How did he not already tell me about her? It's all of it's 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 that piece that I think is just so interesting. It's not like the the deceit. It's not everything. It's just how could he have been married and not told me about it? Who is this woman? I'm not the first. Like it's just so interesting to to her characterization that that's the piece that just blows her brain up and all of the things that Don or Dick has done wrong. That's the thing I think she hangs on to the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think um, that's so true. I was going to say earlier, one thing I also find true, I don't know if this is intentional or not, but I do like uh, that this scene shows the evolution that the show has done uh, stylistically and dramatically, where I feel like the first season was kind of honoring the more kind of like kitchen sink melodrama style of like the late 50s, or actually the 50s in general. And I feel like as the show's getting deeper into the 60s, that you know, like in, in film and television, I feel like we got, we saw more of an introduction of kind of more like naturalistic, kind of more, you know, uh, thoughtful kind of weighted performances. And I feel like the show is kind of mirroring that cultural transition with its own storytelling as well as just a general, I think, confidence uh, in letting its performers and writing really carry it. I don't know if you agree or disagree, John and or Mike. I would, I would say stylistically, even in episodes like this, you can see that the lighting, even the lighting itself is a bit different from like in the earlier episodes when we were still transitioning out of the fifties, there was more of a vibrance to it down to the clothes people wore and how often like episodes took place during the day. Whereas things have been getting darker. We have more scenes that are at night in the wee small hours. There is a whole episode called the fog. Like things have just been getting murkier in general. Um, and there's like this building dread to the JFK assassination to be sure. Even this episode itself where we, we have him in like in the, the doorway and he's like kind of lit, right? As Don Draper, the kids are kind of huddled around him. It's like a horror movie. He looks over, sees Betty in the doorway and she's all in shadow. Like she's been in the dark this whole time. And like there's, there's that whole moment where he's looking at her and he's like, what I do this time? Uh oh. But then, yeah, he has no idea what he's really in for. So, I mean, as usual, yeah. I mean, Mad Men just. It, the blocking itself is just always incredibly done uh, in that way. Um, yeah, Mike, I mean, what's what's always been your takeaway with this whole scene? I mean, it's a long scene, as it needs to be. We don't break away from it. We have Don and Betty's big, big moment. What did you, what did you think of it? First time and most recent. I just think in, in both times, it's, it's crazy that, and, and maybe I speak to myself, but I would imagine because of, how well the scene is acted is how could you just not be on Don's side when he sits there 
on the edge of the bed and painfully talks through the pictures in the box. I just, as the audience member, you, you, and you know even more than Betty how horrible you, you like. You, you mentioned we know there's a bomb under the under the desk that Don doesn't know about. Well, there's a bomb in the car that's even bigger. It's nuclear that Betty doesn't know about, and you, you're still right, sitting there yeah. going like, Two bombs. "Damn, yeah, this is." That's so hard. Like, good for him for telling her. Like, all right, yeah, trust. Like, this is good. And I don't. There's a, there's a part of you that just can't help but be so empathetic with Don in that moment. Um, and that's the. I think the magic of Madman. It's it's mm-hmm. it's empathizing with these extremely dehuman. Hum, what's the word? I've been drinking. It's just it, you. You can't help but feel for Don. You're I mean, just like Don. You just kind of the words. You, you're getting drunker, and you just can't even. <laughs> form the sentences at this point i love i Boys, love the look on hang on hang on I'm toasted i'm toasted you have the same look that uh don has when betty's like you know i know what's in there also and he's just like his heart stops i will say uh on a much lighter note uh and i already shared this with a group a while back but as compelling and, and heartbreaking as the scene or scenes are i just kept thinking of the spongebob throwaway joke where uh, like when they're on the like on the snow thing, and they kept the guy keeps having his like outfit changed to a little bicycle and like lollipop. He's like, <laughs> sure, oh, sure. I can explain. <laughs> I, just yeah. imagining Don just always being like, oh, I can explain. <laughs> just give him a second, let him do yeah. his thing. Um, yeah, no, it's great, it's great. Um, I know we talked about this before in terms of uh you know, people always have theories for like why Don keeps this at home. Like, does he want to get caught? Right. Like Betty, I think even says that. And sometimes I kind of don't love that rationale. Like I I get what it's sort of trying to do and mean, but like part of me kind of wonders like, a, I don't think he, I think he wants it close to home because he is from the depression era. We talked before about like, that is a thing of like keeping your money and very important things at home. Cause you can't trust, like there, there is like a built-in distrust of banks and, and storing things in a public way like that. And I could absolutely see him be like, this is safer at home. And I also kind of think he does have that arrogant hubris of like, that he's not going to go through my things. Like she knows her place. Right. And it, I just, I don't think he ever even imagined or fathomed that she would have the gall to do this. Or to like, yeah, to break it open or sneak into it or anything like that. And so, I don't know. I, I I just, I struggle with that a little bit. I know it's something that gets brought up a lot and people, I guess, subscribe to it. I, I, I don't think I do. I do. I do subscribe to it. But I don't think it's a conscious effort. And this is what I was already thinking about bringing up when you two were discussing why he would he would bring her to the, to the home and um, why he would fly too close to the sun. And I do think in part it's to have that dramaticness between the confrontation and her sitting outside in the car. I do think the show writers write that in, but do you think it's the I dick do, inside him struggling to get out. Let me out. I want to see everybody. It's, it's the dick in the box. No, I, I do think, <laughs> and, and this is in real life. I, I do think there, when you are that unhappy in a marriage or a relationship, whatever it is, I do think there's an unsubconscious level to you that, wants to create a self-fulfilling prophecy of being caught. Um, and it looks different for other people. And it, it, it does come through as arrogance or it comes through as um, complacency in Don's case after doing it for such a long time. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I do think it is absolutely believable. I think on, on both ends of the spectrum, 
I think with Betty and, and what she has going on with Mr. Rockefeller, a sister or man, and what Don has going on with little kitty school teacher, I think both of them know that this marriage is over. They they've they've tried, they've ignored it, they retried again, they came back together, and it's just been miserable. Neither of them are happy, and so both of them want out. I don't think either of them have realized that they want out. And they're doing everything they can to actually make that happen. Well, uh, you've been married longer than any of us, that's for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, where do you fall on it? Do you think Do you think uh, Mike is right? Yeah, I mean, I forget if it's this season or last. I think it was this season when uh, they went abroad. Yeah, it was a season, yeah. Uh, they, they, they spent time in uh, Italy. And it's like the only time they can really be happy as a couple at this point is when they adopt different personas and like they kind of pretend that they're younger, pretend they have a more lavish, well, like also pretend that they when they're with the kids. kids, right? Like yeah. when they have the kids and they go to the park and there's a, that's, there's that persona too. It's like, well, we're the Rockefeller painting, you know, sure. family. But I think that's also like a different kind of facade. Whereas this is like a facade that they can like have fun with and, and revel sure. in, in like a more playful way. That kind of like, cause I think the happiest they were was when they, like we're you know like like she was a model he was just like an up and coming uh, ad man uh, and you know like they were kind of forming their family but there was like it was still kind of playhouse like they're just having and at least based on the little clues we get uh, about their early lives and from different episodes that it seems like the real happiness is long since faded and there's no real way without just you know make believe that they can get back to that and so. Yeah, I, I don't know a way forward for them that, that ends with happiness. I would have to agree with that. I'd have to agree with that. I feel so bad for Suzanne Farrell, you know, getting stuck in the car. Sometimes when I rewatch this episode, too, I, I have this Mandela effect where I always reimagine it as like, he forgets, right? And and he's it's like morning and he's like, oh yeah. And then he goes to the car and he's like, I'm, oh man. And she's just like, oh, I hate you so much. Sure. That doesn't happen. I don't know why I have that memory, but I keep thinking that that's what happens in the scene. But no, mm-hmm. instead, she just leaves. We see her kind of just leave the car, just be like, damn. Uh, and then she they talk on the phone and, and there's like the kind of breakup and everything. I also always forget that like the breakup kind of happens the way it does, where it's a little bit more final. I always felt like it kind of fizzled out more. Um, so I don't mm-hmm. know why I have that memory. I mean, it does kind of fit what we're watching in a way because it is a relationship that does fizzle but i gotta be honest you know i do wonder at times if there is if there could have been something like if um, don and suzanne had had some kind of romance outside of this deception if their personalities would have really clicked because there does seem to be like kind of a similar connection he has with her that is pretty similar to the connection he has with rachel um I'd say that, like, since Rachel, like, Suzanne is certainly probably a better match for the guy uh, than than other people along the way. What, what do you guys think? Are, are you guys Suzanne fans, or am I on my own? Oh, I mean, I've already established I'm a Suzanne session? fan, but... You're not uh, a fan, you said? Or no, you I say I am a Suzanne fan. Okay. Uh, but what I was going to say is, like, in this episode in particular, but also the last one, uh, it seems like Don is maybe the healthiest relationship we've seen with a woman outside of his, like, you know, ex-wife that we only really got to know for one episode. Um, Yeah. It just seems like he, he, this little moments we get are, I mean, not like a perfect uh, relationship, obviously for several reasons, but, uh, but it seems like they actually have a kind of loving, respecting, you know, 
sweet uh, relationship. Uh, and yeah, it, it seems like between that and then like his uh, previous marriage with uh, Mrs. Uh, Draper, the real Mrs. Draper, I guess. Um, it seems like he can't really have like these happy relationships unless there's like some sort of like facade or like, uh, you know, like barrier or something. It just kind of adds to the, the complexity that we see with the multiple layers of Don slash Dick. This is what I love about Mad Men is, Will, you go, yeah, this is his healthiest relationship. And it's his fucking daughter's teacher who he, like, tries to help her, <laughs> men- like, ill brother pay off and, like, leave and lies to her about it after, like, knowing them for, like, I don't know, collective couple of weeks. And we're like, yeah, this right. is the best one. But I guess I, I do, I mean, I do like Rachel Mankin a lot. I think I'll always personally like Rachel Mankin as any Dawn lover more than anyone else. Uh, but She's as someone, my, my very first crush in life was a kindergarten teacher. When I was in kindergarten, I was pissed that I had the wrong teacher. I had the old lady compared to the cute young teacher. I'll never forget that. I was like six years old, and that's, you know, a staple in my life. And so, yes, I, I do understand the, you know, the hot for teacher disease that Don Draper does seem to succumb to. So you're saying that you're disappointed because you had the young teacher and you had a crush on the older one that you were unable to... The ex- literal exact opposite. So I don't know if you're a I was joking, listener. But, or- yeah, I, wow. I, I was joking, but see, I, I can understand the joke didn't play out well, so we can move on. I'll take the blame for this, dog. No, it's not, nothing's ever on you, Will. I love you too much. <laughs> There's a scene where, I mean, the whole moment where Don is explaining himself to Betty. And he's kind of telling her like it was never romantic and he's kind of walking her through his life story. Uh, I love it. I love the just the character blocking of it, the way he's pouring a drink and he's kind of shaky. You kind of see that he's kind of battling between Don and Dick. I think he's a little scared to go full Dick on her. Um, Don't laugh, guys. It's serious. Uh, But he, he genuinely is just trying to like. I think be Don because he doesn't want her to think that he's a completely different person. It's that, I think that's part of why the performance is so genius, but also I could never get over the fact that uh, at least up until this point in the show, the man will not admit. And, and I don't think he possibly could at this point, at least that the, the whole like, Oh, they made a mistake. They thought I was him and he was me. Motherfucker. You did that. You switched the uh the dog tax and it's just it's not something he's owned up to yet so yeah it's pretty sad he won't he won't say it to betty he won't tell the truth at the end of the day though just such a rock solid episode this is this is an episode of mad men that you watch and you just can't help but go god damn this show is the best hmm. um is there anything else that you guys wanted to get into before we go off and conduct a couple of our own focus groups with our family and friends i mean i want to talk about your bookshelf uh which would make Why? for great audio uh, content. That, uh, uh, yeah, it's see. so related to Mad Men, too. I know. Really. So I see you got the, the Pixar Theory book. I've read that one. Uh, <laughs> it also looks like you have Killer Joy. I've read that one, also by John Negroni. Uh, looks like you got Dune, a book that you claimed you didn't read, but now say you have read. I've read that one. Uh, what other books you got there? Um, I do have this book called The Moment Where They Go Trick-or-Treating, and, you know, Sally is a gypsy, and... Uh, his son is a hobo. Very offensive costumes. And sure. uh, we see Carlton. But they're both, uh, they're mm-hmm. both Don. Don is, is that, is both that the you came away with? Okay, go and ahead. And the hobo. We, um, what, what's your explanation for that? 
Well, I mean, I, that's admittedly something I read in uh, the uh, Mad Men Carousel, but ah, so then what um, is Matt Zoller Sizes? <laughs> no, it was it was one of his contributors, I think. But yeah, it was it was an interesting takeaway that you know because he mentioned how the kids originally wanted to be uh, Minnie Mouse and an astronaut, and the mm-hmm. astronaut represents this future, this uncertainty that Don's afraid of, and also Minnie Mouse represents this uh, capitalistic idea that represents Don's personal life that he pretty much at this point despises and, and wishes that he could, uh, you know, move, remove that mask from his life. And, uh, yeah, I like that he, uh, yeah, go ahead. Is that, Mike? is that what Sally was? Minnie Mouse? Cause I mean, no, that's what I she wanted that. to be. Wanted to be. That's right. Well, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, Don, was, Don was, she was like, I want that costume. And Don was like, you'll never wear it. Ex- well, I just, I missed that but, part of the episode and Will just told me that she was a bitch. So, <gasps> whoa, whoa. Will, be nice. That's why he told what me to happened? me. That's why. That's why he's dressed up. At. I honestly, I I do think of Don as the hobo. Going back to the hobo code and something that I think he's had a long sort of relationship with. I, I always considered Betty to be the gypsy. Gotta say, kind of sexist of you. <laughs> I know. I gotta say, I agree with John. That's that was that was also my own read, and I I wasn't gonna bring it up. I. That is one of the more interesting things I read in the carousel was that tape because it is so different. I literally, because it's such a dichotomy in the episode between Don and Betty, I thought that's why both kids were represented as the the same dichotomy, right? Because you you kind of, you you know, you reap what you sow, like who you are, it becomes like who you produce. And, uh, but maybe that's just too obvious. And Mad Men isn't about the obvious. So it does kind of make sense that it could be both of, both of the Dons. I think, thematically could see that being make, make much more sense well that'll do it for mad men men thank you so much for listening and oh man next week is the grown-ups episode 12 and this is an episode that i'm very excited to talk about with you guys uh we definitely need to talk about it asap because i can't wait sure. to, to re-watch it um but thank you as All always right. for listening yeah can't wait to watch and discuss it in january 2024 <laughs> Sorry, Tongues I think you meant to say January 2025. Yeah, I'm gonna start dropping like wrong tags, like to, to incorrectly date our episodes. So be like, man, really just loved watching Pat, like Patterson in Peru. Paddington? What's his name? Peru, yeah. Patterson. <laughs> I think on that note, yeah. it's time for us to sober right. up. Happy Halloween, everybody.